Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Emanway. Say hello, Scott. Hi, Scott. Okay. Yeah, that works. That old joke. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double, and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Om nom nom nom. Sound like eating. <laughs> um, no. It sounded like an Oompa Loompa talking or well, something. I'm about the size of an Oompa Loompa. Well, well fat Oompa Loompa. Yeah, you could work on the color. Need more orange. Oh, Carol brought us candy. Yep. <laughs> so Scott has three very large Sour Patch Kids in his mouth right now. I do. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, this is how the, the entire episode's going to go, just so you know. You oh, have to God. listen to Scott. Nom, nom, nom. These are so good. They're giant ones. They're not regular size. You shouldn't talk with your mouth full. Oh, I just pretty much swallowed <laughs> like a fistful of Sour Patch Kids. Oh. And it was amazing. There you go. Amazing. Well, this is episode 86. Mm. On with the show. This week we're on our way to Manitoba, but probably not for the reasons that people think we're going to Manitoba this week, because as of just moments ago, essentially, uh, some people were uh, discovered. Yes, Mr. Schmigelski and Mr. McLeod were found yeah, I've been, deceased. I've, I've been working all day, so I haven't really been able to uh, be updated too much on it, so I'm, I'm very curious to, to go and dig through. People continually making posts about, can't wait to hear Dark Poutine take on this story. People at my work, as soon as the update came in, they were like, ooh, can't wait till you guys cover it. Yeah, it'll be a while. Yeah, and that's exactly what uh, our friend Ryan was like. He's like, there is going to be a while. They they need to make sure that like everything has come out. Yeah. You know, like it's all done. Yeah, I'm not going to hop on to the... Uh to the choo-choo train of podcasts that's just uh, just going to cover this case. <laughs> choo-choo train. Exactly. Choo-choo. So this week, as I mentioned, we're on our way to Manitoba. We've only ever done one story there, and it was the Falcon Lake UFO case. Yeah. And our listeners have pointed this out numerous times, and we've heard you. So there are a lot of cases to cover in Manitoba, and we're going to get to some. Yep. Many are drug-related crimes or sad cases, some well-known about indigenous women being murdered and treated like they're less than human by the system, and we plan on covering some of those too. But this one is a little different. This is the Altona school shooting of 1902. Well, that's a while ago. So when you think of school shootings, uh, you think about the U.S. first. Right. I do, and, and I also think um, that this is a modern era kind of an event. It is definitely not. So I think of places like Thurston High School and Springfield, 
Oregon, Columbine and mm-hmm. Littleton, mm-hmm. Sandy Hook in Newton, Connecticut, or Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in Parkland, Florida. Yep. I think I think Columbine is the one where most people think that's kind of the origins of school yeah. shootings. We've had our fair share here in Canada, and they are not a modern phenomenon here. That's fascinating. There have been a total of 19 school shootings here in Canada since 1884. So it's... Just let me get to this. Okay. Let me spew out these statistics first. Spew it. The last one was in 2016. Compared to the U.S., which as of July 2019, there were 22 school shootings this year alone. Yeah, so that's where I was going to go, Mike. Is yeah. that, um, yeah, it, you your phrasing made it seem like we've we've had our share up here, and I'm like, oh, okay, like you, what we've had in a hundred years is less than what they have in a year so far. So, oh, seven seven I, months of a year. I'm not laughing to like because it's funny. It's just that those frustrating. You either laugh or cry sometimes, and it's like, oh Jesus. The worst one we've ever seen here in Canada was at a coal polytechnique in yes. Montreal in 1989, yes. and that's when a 25 year old man who'd most likely be called an incel today absolutely would took a hunting knife and an assault rifle into the school, killing 14 women, injuring 10 more female students, and wounding four men before turning the gun on himself. Yes. And this case, actually, that Ecole Polytechnique, led to much-needed gun control laws in Canada by way of the Firearms Act in 1995. And there's an amazing documentary called, well, not a documentary, a docudrama uh, called Polytechnique. Yes. Uh, Oh, it's so good. I own it on iTunes, and I've watched it a couple of times. It's It's, it's so heavy. It is very, very very little dialogue throughout the whole thing. Like it takes place during the shooting, and it's done from the students' perspectives. Yes, as this man is storming around the school and killing people, so they're not very talkative. It's just like you're watching this regular life unfold as this tragedy. Mm -hmm. It's really powerful. We will cover that case eventually. Another case we plan to cover also takes place in Montreal three years later at Concordia University. And this is where associate professor in the mechanical engineering department named Valerie Fabricant murdered four of his colleagues and wounded a fifth. Hmm. We're hopping in the way back machine for this one, all the way back to 1902, to a little town in Manitoba called Altona. And it's about 100 kilometers south of Winnipeg and is close to the U.S. border state of North Dakota. Uh, The name Altona sounds familiar, but I don't think I've ever heard of the uh, city. It's a very tiny place still. So we often hear about students coming to a school with a weapon and gunning down classmates and teachers, right? Mm -hmm. That's the typical thing. Yeah. Not in this instance. In this case, the perpetrator of these crimes is the teacher. Whoa. Yeah. Well, that's a plot twist. A little different. As this was over 100 years ago, some of the details have been lost to uh, time. And I've tried my best to piece together what is closest Mm -hmm. to an accurate accounting of what took place. There are some conflicting reports that I've had to sift through, uh, but the story is a crazy one. Well, yeah, the uh, mechanisms for uh, documenting in 1902... They had to wait for somebody to come from the newspaper yeah. to talk to them about it. I mean, they could. there was such a thing as a telephone, yeah. but I don't know how many telephones there were in Altona yeah. in 1902. Yeah. So, yeah, just, just trying to find uh, all the facts, I would imagine, being very challenging. Yeah. So over three years, from 1874 to 1876, there was an influx of of Mennonites from the Ukraine from Ukraine to the area and they came to Canada for both economic and religious reasons finding the land and climate in Manitoba much like their homeland oh okay according to Oxford a Mennonite is a member of a Protestant sect originating in Friesland that's in uh, Netherlands in the 16th century emphasizing adult baptism and rejecting and rejecting church organization, military service, and public office. So, okay. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. 
Wheat farming was the main industry helping the area to grow quickly, but it was the railway coming closer to town about a kilometer away in 1895 that made trade out of the little town easier. Hmm. The hard-working Mennonites built the area up. By 1896, according to Altona, a pictorial history, there were, quote, already three grain elevators, six general stores, three wood and machinery dealers, one blacksmith, a flax warehouse, a liquor store, a boarding house, a hotel, and a school operating in the town. Sounds like a burgeoning young little town. Growing up in the, uh, on the prairie. In the 1800s. Well, yeah, 1896 at that point. Almost the 1900s. A lot of the Mennonite folk didn't like the idea of the railroad because they loved their simple life and Mm. they were more isolated there and found it easy to maintain their ideals without influence from the big cities like yep. Winnipeg. Yeah, those <laughs> cities the big are city full of, of Winnipeg. Yeah, they're full of godless folks. Well, and I mean, we still see that in some some religious uh, sects. That uh, yep, yeah, they want they want to be uh, further away, further uh, no out in outside influences. Mm-hmm. In the summer of 1896, the one-room school was built in the town called Altona Village School or Mennonite School but the population quickly outgrew it. In 1899, the original school was complemented by a brand new two-story building on 3rd Avenue Northeast with four classrooms, costing the town a whopping $7,000. Woo! Seven grand for a school. I mean, where's that money going to come from? Well, in 1896, I'm sure that was a pretty penny. It was. It was back in the one-room Mennonite school where a 36-year-old Russian immigrant named Henry Taves was teaching school in 1902. His 80-year-old mother, a widow, and his brother had emigrated with Henry from Ukraine a few years ago. Even though he was close to them, he decided that he would move away to teach, leaving them in Winnipeg. Hmm. He lived in boarding houses around Altona, but he moved often. He was known to be, quote, particular, and eventually, each of his hosts he'd had would upset him in some way. Taves finally ended up sleeping on a cot on the floor of the schoolhouse. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That would suck. That, that would suck. But I mean, I guess it's better than living outdoors in Altona. Exactly. Disliking the folks that he'd fallen out with, he'd move on to another boarding place, but would still have to deal with the children of each of these families in his classroom. Still fuming at the parents who ran the boarding houses, he was known to be particularly cruel to the kids from those families. Hmm. From a 2013 Spectator Tribune article on the story, a local was quoted as saying, quote, I always heard that he was quite a good teacher, but was considered sullen and irritable out of school. Yeah, not really traits you want in a teacher. No. But, I mean, outside of school, live live your life. Different time, right, Scott? Totally. I mean, uh, Little House on the Prairie, they had a cranky teacher at one point. In, uh, and, and that documentary is sound. Little House on the Prairie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. not a documentary. I'm pretty sure it was. From the same article in the Spectator Tribune, quote, The notes on him are contradictory, that he was both loved and hated, that he was a very good teacher, though unreliable... <laughs> and that he had recently disappeared for a number of months for no evident reason. The reason he disappeared is because he ended up in the hospital in oh. Minneapolis oh. for what we would call today depression. Oh, okay. It was the vapors back then? Or? I don't know what they called it then. Okay. Well, but that... Oh. So what happens to school when your one teacher is gone? For? Oh, probably mom or dad steps in. To the class? Yeah, one of the parents will do it. Wow. There were There were trustees. He was given repeated advice and direction on his teaching methods by the school trustees, which Taves greatly resented. He refused to change and began abusing the daughters of the trustees who'd been telling him how to do his job. Hmm. From an article by Margaret Lowen Reimer of Waterloo, Ontario, the great-granddaughter of Abram Rempel, an Altona school trustee, said in her article on the story, quote, In class, he called the Rempel and Kaler girls forward and encouraged the other pupils to jeer at them. Jeez. Whoever refused to do so was whipped. 
During recess, the girls were forbidden to play with the other children and were banned to the street. According to Susanna Rampel Lowen, Margaret's grandmother and one of the Taves' favorite targets, Taves appointed a guard over the shunned children with permission to use a stick on them. He also encouraged the pupils to harass and throw stones at the girls on the way home. The children apparently did not report this abuse to their parents, end quote. Oh, Jesus. And so uh, I'll try to be quick. I have a somewhat similar story in grade, grade seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a pretty typical uh, boy. I liked playing in mud and dirt and, uh, you know, probably didn't shower as much as I should. And uh, I can remember one time in class, uh, my teacher, who was a terrible person, I will just, she was not a nice, not to me, not a nice person. One time, just in the middle of class, she stops the class and like, Scott, show me your hands. And I hold my hands up. She's like, come up to the front of the classroom. So this is in front of all the kids. I come up. She's like, give me those hands. And I put my hands out in front of her and she looks at them and turning them over. And she's like, you are a filthy boy. How do you, don't you shower? This is disgusting. Go stand in the corner of the room for the rest of the class. That's humiliating. Right in front of all of the other students. You probably deserved it though. I was pretty dirty. (laughs) Eventually, the trustees got wind of Tay's behavior in class. uh, When one of the Rempel girls came home with an egg-sized lump on her head, where Taves had stricken her so hard with a ruler that it broke. They wanted to oust him, but decided they would confront him first to see what he had to say. Things came to a head on the morning of October 9th, 1902. Three of the school trustees, two of them which he'd roomed with prior, Abram Rempel and Peter Kaler, and another named John Hebert, planned to meet with Taves that day and have it out. Yeah. Taves, who thought he was about to be fired, had a hammer and nails with him and was about to nail the doors to the school shut to prevent the trustees from entering to fire him. Clearly, he was not thinking straight. I tell you, and I'm not even joking, if one of my kids came home with a giant bump on their head from the teacher... Yeah. You're, you're marching I don't, over. I don't know if I could restrain myself. Yeah. The first two trustees to arrive at the school were Abram Rempel and John Hebert. The three men began arguing in front of the students. It was Taves himself who suggested they take the argument away from the school so the children would not have to hear the adult conversation. From Margaret Lowen Reimer's article, quote, Rempel became so agitated that he grabbed the pointer stick and struck it on the desk and stove several times, splintering it. Both trustees soon realized they were accomplishing nothing and promised to return in the afternoon with the rest of the trustees. Taves had his gun ready when they arrived. Oh, End quote. shit. We're unsure of the specifics, but apparently the men had questions for Taves that he was not willing to answer. Mm. Nobody has ever gone into what those are Damn. in any of the newspaper articles. Damn it. Some accounts also vary about the location of the shooting. One has it happening in the home of Abram Rempel, but others report it took place outside away from the school, perhaps in Rempel's yard. Mm. Regardless, three men were shot. From his pocket, Taves presented a small caliber firearm that he'd been keeping under his pillow. Taves began firing. John Hebert was the first to be shot as he turned to run on seeing the pistol. He was hit in the right hip, The bullet passed through his abdomen and lodged itself in the bone in his left hip. Abram Rempel also ducked out of the way, but not in time. He was the next to be shot. He took a round from Taves' pistol in the shoulder, and the bullet made its way deep into his body. The third trustee, Peter Kaler, arriving for the scheduled meeting, came just in time to see his two colleagues being shot at by Henry Taves. Fearing for his own life, he turned on his heel and ran, but Taves had already seen him and fired after Kaler, wounding him in the hand. Kaler kept running and got away. One report paints Kaler as a hero, also wrestling with Taves for the weapon, but falling in a faint after being shot in the hand. So I, I kind of think the running away story seems to be more, more accurate. Yeah, yeah. Taves turned his attention back to Rempel and Hebert, 
who were now on the run as fast as their wounded bodies would carry them to a neighboring residence for shelter. As Taves was pursuing the two men, he kept firing, hitting Rempel with another three bullets. The first caught Rempel in the back and pierced one of his lungs. The second grazed his neck and the third, fired from some distance away, left an angry bruise on Rempel's spine. And I'm not entirely sure how that would happen. Yeah. I I don't know if it entered his body or, or what. I don't know. But this is what I read. After shooting the three men, Taves turned and walked back toward the school, still in a rage. According to the Free Press, quote, Crazed by the sight of his victims, Taves' passion got beyond all control, end quote. When he entered the one-room schoolhouse, he still had murder on his mind. Taves singled out Susanna Rempel, 10, sitting near the back of the class. He'd boarded with her family when he first came to Altona to teach in 1899. Having just shot Susanna's father, Taves shot her next, twice, at point-blank range. Susanna Rempel was hit in the right elbow and the upper arm. As the stunned students in the small schoolroom looked on, Taves singled out and shot 10-year-old Helena Kaler, the daughter of school trustee Peter Kaler, who he'd just shot in the hand. Helena took two rounds in the chest and one in the arm. Luckily, none of the shots into Helena's chest struck any major organs. Seeing two of their classmates gunned down by their teacher, many of the students fled the school, screaming, and a few ran for help. Little Anna Kaler, who was eight years old at the time, was not as lucky as her older sister. Taves shot her too. Anna lay gravely injured on the floor of her classroom, three bullets in her chest. As Taves only had a revolver, he would have had to reload and perhaps more than once during his rampage. This makes his crimes even more callous and cruel. Having done his dirty work, Taves stuffed the smoking gun into his jacket pocket, left the school, and began walking toward town down the railroad tracks. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. So the teacher loses his baloney and and goes on a shooting rampage. Uh, innocent children, like, you know me in, in anything with kids, like, it yeah. just, ang- I get so angry. Yeah, because what did they do other than just be the children of the parents whom he hated? But clearly, there's not a lot of rationality happening there. Well, and probably some uh, linkage in his head of, the parents hurt me, I'm going to hurt them back by going after their kids, even though not knowing the condition of the parents, probably. But So, yeah, he's probably thinking, like, you know, let me... Hit them where it hurts. Yeah. Oh. Well, we'll take a break right here and come back with the conclusion of this sad story. It's unclear whether Taves was going toward town to catch a train and get away, or if he was going to kill another trustee. Mm. The U.S. border was only 10 kilometers away and not as guarded as it is today, so escape would have been relatively easy. I I would imagine borders are incredibly different now. Yeah, just hop on the train, go across the border, and that's you're done. Yeah. Yeah. Taves didn't make it very far, though. Presumably, drawn by gunfire or the screams of Taves' fleeing students, a wheat threshing team that had been working nearby set off in pursuit of him, Armed with farm implements and sticks. What? Wow! Yeah. So, I guess, you know, perhaps one of the kids ran up and said, teacher went nuts and was firing at us, so we need help. And uh, you, There's something emotional uh, with me about when you have unarmed citizens going after an armed assailant. Have you ever seen a wheat threshing? Y- yes. Yes. I'm sure, I don't think they were chasing him in the wheat thresher, were they? There is no wheat thresher in 1902. They were probably carrying scythes. Oh, jeez. So, but had, still, had a scythe versus a gun. You know, yeah. you'd still that like. Yeah, fair enough. But oh man, if you catch him, <laughs> oh yeah, he's done so. <laughs> it's crazy. It's video game material. One report claims that as the pursuers approached Taves, he pointed his gun at them in a warning, saying that they'd be shot if they came any closer. Possibly seeing the futility in his escape attempts, he put the gun to the side of his head and pulled the trigger. Mm, Yeah, okay. Shocked at first, 
Taves' pursuers, picked him up, still alive, conscious, blinded in one eye and bleeding badly from a gaping wound in his skull. The group took him to a local doctor's office where police arrested him while he was receiving treatment. This is fascinating. All the victims were tended to by doctors in town. John Hebert, Abraham Rempel, and Helena Kaler were in serious condition for some time. Eventually, though, they all pulled through, as did Peter Kaler and Susanna Rempel. Wow, that is amazing. That is real. Oh, thank God. Dark-haired, diminutive, eight-year-old Anna Kaler, though, died from three gunshot wounds to the chest in hospital the next day. Oh, that poor sweetheart. Taves was later taken by train and under police guard to the hospital in Winnipeg for more intensive treatment. It was reported that he was able to make his own way to the waiting ambulance at the train station despite the massive wound to his head now heavily bandaged. Wow, crazy. Taves' mother came to his bedside in the hospital. Taves' brother Bernhard also soon joined them, informing him of Anna Kaler's death. Mm. Police began investigating and uncovered disturbing evidence among Taves' personal effects that, in fact, he may have been planning this attack for some months prior. They found an unsent letter in Taves' hand to a sporting goods outfit in which he was asking to buy another handgun and a repeating rifle. So imagine had he had the rifle, mm-hmm. what, what damage he'd done. Because this pistol that he had, I believe it was either a twenty-two or a twenty-five. So there wasn't yeah. a lot of oomph yeah, yeah. To, this, to this pistol that he had. So he was looking to buy some heavier caliber weaponry, which... Guaranteed more fatalities. More fatalities Guaranteed, for sure. Yeah. yeah. The small Mennonite town was shaken by the violence so uncharacteristic for their community that had taken one little girl, wounded two more, and three men and Taves at his own hand. What had driven Henry Taves to such extreme actions? No one seemed to be able to answer definitively. I mean, he hated the parents, but... Mm -hmm. A doctor named Hebert, who attended the wounded in the wake of Taves' rampage, later said, quote, He occasionally was erratic and was called cranky by all who knew him. He lived a very secluded life, which possibly had the effect of increasing many tendencies toward insanity which he may have had. I knew him for a few years. I considered him erratic and queer, but nothing more. I knew he was morbid and gloomy at times, but thought nothing of the matter. So the doctor knew he was a depressive. Yeah, everything was labeled and treated. Yeah. A complete 180 to how we do things now. Yeah. Or or view things. Yeah. Some insight might come from Taves himself. He wrote a letter to a friend named Jacob Braun two years before the rampage, mm. when in a Minneapolis mental institute for depression. Margaret Lowen Reimer, Susanna Rempel's granddaughter, obtained a copy of the letter. In the letter, Taves talks about dark feelings even prior to the shootings. Quote, Oh, it is inexpressibly desolate, empty, cold, and woeful in my heart. Battered about in exile is the wintry bleakness of my soul. Fog before me, fog behind me, fog around me. I live without a past and without a future. I have never known what happiness is, and I have long forgotten what hope is. Only a dark dream shudders in my heart. Oh, that is dark. This is really dark. Wow, yeah. He also goes on to say ominously, I feel that my grave is near, and what do I take there with me? Nothing out of this rich life but mistakes, sin, and sickness, a maimed body, a dying spirit, and an eon of regrets. Yeah, there's something going on in this fellow's head. Yeah, definitely. In the months after the shootings, Taves lay in his Winnipeg hospital bed, initially claiming he couldn't remember his crimes. He was not getting much better, and his wound was constantly infected. Mm. Taves was emaciated as he was refusing to eat and would take only water and the occasional sip of orange juice. Perhaps he was starving himself out of guilt? You know, and at that time, what kind of treatment, you know, like now with a head wound like that, there would be a lot of treatment available. So Mm -hmm. like back then, I would imagine it's just clean it. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and bandage it, you know, yeah. give some some uh, pain relief. Yeah. According to the Tribune, Tave's brother, Bernhard, wrote, quote, The evil one had misled my brother to the point where he used him to try to kill others and then make an attempt on his own life. But the evil one's intentions were unsuccessful, end quote. Well, I'm sorry, but he, your brother was the evil one. Henry Taves began to remember in bits and pieces what he'd done and was, according to his brother, horrified. He prayed for forgiveness and begged Bernhard to take a message to the people of Altona, telling of his repentance and wish to make things right with them. <laughs> I don't know how you do that. How does one make right for shooting children and killing one and... Yeah. and Three months after the rampage, in December, an Altona bishop asked Taves why he'd done what he had. He told the bishop that at the time of the shootings, quote, the evil one, was using him as an instrument and that he could remember little other than the thought that he had wanted to die by suicide. Once again, you were the evil one. Henrik or Henry Taves would never be tried for his crimes. Oh my God. On the morning of January 19, 1903, Henry Taves passed away, bullets still in his head. <sighs> the Calgary Daily Herald said, quote, His death was due to convulsions caused by abscesses in the head resulting from a self-inflicted bullet wound, end quote. He had completed his death by suicide, after all. Well, and, and you know, this is going to sound really terrible, but thankfully it sounds like he had a slow, painful death. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't... I say that emotionally. Uh, Henry Taves was buried without a grave marker in a local cemetery. Residents of the small Mennonite community dealt with their grief and shock as best they could. Some of them even came to forgive him. Hmm. A one resident, Abraham Enns, wrote a poem in German, later translated by his grandson, and it was called About the Murder Drama in Altona, Manitoba. And here's the poem, quote... The pupils see the revolvers flash. Three shots ring out. God, oh God. Three innocent girls sink to their knees. Such a murder has not been known before. The murderer flees, and with him Satan's horde. As if the deed is not to him, but oh dear mother, living still. God can and wants to save your blind child. Out of Satan's deathly chains of sin, even though the sin be red from murderer's blood, Jesus the mediator has paid it all. Okay. Yeah, in general, not just in that poem, it seems like there's a lot of dismissing and diminishing accountability and passing it on to uh, uh, this was the doing of the devil yep. or or the Lord. But like, this is what people believed in those no, communities it, it, at the time. Clearly, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but it's just it's it's just interesting to see compared to now how we we would be able to recognize like and no, we'll this... get into that okay <gasps> <gasps> we'll get into that okay oddly Taves family asked the school board in Altona for forty five dollars worth of the back pay that he'd been owed for his last month of teaching and it's unclear why they asked that I'm kind of torn on that because his family isn't to blame well. Not knowing that maybe the family was terrible and whatnot, but the uh, the family isn't at fault, and they're trying to survive, and this would have created a lot of damage to them, and so asking for back pay, I, I, you would just hope that it's insensitive. Though. It's incredibly insensitive. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to be the diplomat in it and being like, okay, well, let's see both perspectives. But there's, yeah, there's no getting around. It's insensitive. Yeah, let's call it for what it is. Yeah. It seems like daily we hear of mass shootings from our neighbors to the south in the U.S. On the surf, and it's very timely. We've recently had uh, El Paso, mm -hmm. Dayton, mm -hmm. and Chicago on mm -hmm. the, in the same weekend. Mm -hmm. On the surface, this story from so long ago seems no less senseless and strangely not that much different. Yeah, uh, different in the sense of who, who did the shooting. Yeah. But not necessarily different. You could really picture him just being a, like everything that was laid out of him sounds like what this, 
the student killers are doing now. Yeah. Like same kind of a frustration. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll make them pay. Yep. Taves and the people of Altona struggled to explain the real reasons why, just as we do today. Mm -hmm. At that time, they blamed the devil, resentment, and Taves not being, quote, right in the head. Yeah, well. So today, we blame guns, Mm -hmm. access to guns, Mm -hmm. video games desensitizing the youth, Recreational cannabis. That was one that I heard this week. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Yeah, wasn't that some... some uh, High Times, uh, or a uh, senator. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Heavy metal music. Clearly. It's that darn Ozzy Osbourne again, and those rotten Judas Priest people. It's, I blame them all. Yeah. Mental illness is now a favorite thing to blame, and of course, political rhetoric. Yep. But what about the responsibility of the perpetrator? It's a great... Great question, Mike. Right? Great question. Ultimately, as it was with Taves, every one of these people, usually young men, feel so powerless and out of control of their own lives, they decide to pick up a weapon and kill as many people as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. It's rage. Tragically, yeah. 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 My question is, what can we do as a society to create a reality where no one feels futility and frustration to the point where they lash out in the most evil way that they can. Rage seems to be the real issue, or is it just another symptom of a world going wrong? That's a Pandora's box you're opening. Well, that's why we're going to talk about it, Scott. Well, I'm opening it. Oh. Out come the snakes and yeah. all the ghosts and everything else. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Don't get me wrong. I do believe a little gun control is a good thing. I really do. But take away every weapon in the world, and we still have a rage problem. Every weapon in the world, every means of hurting somebody, take it all away, and people are still angry. What's that about? We have rage in Canada. Yep. We have rage in Sweden, in Norway, Germany. uh, I know what you're going to say. Asia. uh, In the U.S., there's more more shooting. So we, we, rage and mental illness is shared amongst the globe. Yeah. Why So do you believe this is mental illness that is causing this? Do you Um, believe that the the person who went and shot up- uh, Yeah, for sure. In in Dayton had a, a mental illness that had it been treated- I, I this think, wouldn't have happened? I think by definition, every murderer has a mental health issue. Oh, totally. Uh, mental illness, I'm not going to go Whether that far not, because that makes people want to think that, right. that they're not legally responsible. Exactly. Uh, which that is not what I'm saying. I, I think without a doubt, you, you're not going to be a healthy, well-balanced individual and go and murder. Yeah. Uh, and so for sure, there are some... M- strong underlying mental health issues with all of these people. Do I think, though, that is to blame? No. No, because, again, we've got those same issues in Canada, Australia, Japan, and there is not nearly, nearly, we talked about 100 years worth of school shootings in Canada is less than what happens in a year. In the U.S. In the U.S. Yeah. And so... Um, but why then why is the U.S. so angry? It's not because guns exist. <gasps> well, I think in part, I think in part in the sense of the importance they play in a culture. And so I don't own firearms. They're important here. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and we, we talked, I, I went off on last week's after show, but uh, I, I don't have firearms. Mm. I don't care to have any firearms. I was in a gun club when I was younger. I... I uh, uh, I loved firearms. I used to always shoot 22s mm-hmm. and had pellet guns. Um, but I also did something stupid yeah. when I was a kid and accidentally hit somebody in the head oh, with a pellet gun yeah. driving a vehicle. I was not aiming, didn't mean to. So I'm also, I can I can speak firsthand of how just having access to those things can result unintentionally and harm being done. And so I, I, I can say firsthand that having access did that. After that, I have never touched a firearm again. But I'm also pro-fire. I think that people should be allowed to have... I want if, I want you to have your guns. So I want you to have them. Here's, here's what I'm thinking. 
the war on drugs. Yes. I'm going to pair, compare. I think it's a good comparison. Right. So, so the war on drugs, this quote. Worked war out on, perfect. It worked out no great. No more drugs. Okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so what we've been doing, we've been incarcerating people for years. We've been going after the drug dealers. We've been doing everything we can uh, to criminalize drugs and make it like the most horrible thing on the planet. Yep. But what haven't we been doing? is addressing the demand for the drugs. Or or the why for, again, mental health, yes, the why. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. No, And I, that's I what I'm talking about. Going to war against guns is like going to war against drugs. It's exactly but the, the same thing. But the thing of it is, too, in that sense, I, I would like somebody to, to please communicate to me what political individual out there in either party, any party, is actually saying we want to get rid of guns. It's not. The, Nobody's pe- saying that. We, it, everybody is saying that we would like some some better control. It, exactly. The fear is, oh, that's where they start, and that's where they get the registry. And then the next thing, you know, and so... They, but so why are you afraid not, of having your guns taken away? What's there to fear? The, that's the thing. And like <laughs> this, is the, this is the root of it. This is fear. It, it absolutely is. It is a fear culture. They are terrified of each other. And, I, and again, I want you... I want you to have your firearms i just want you to be responsible and i want there to be a shitload of restrictions in regards to you getting them keeping them and owning them yeah but i want you to still be able to have them sure and of course again so the offshoot of that is people saying oh good so the only ones who have guns then or or are the criminals and it's like no yeah so Maggie Costello Walks said uh, that she thinks fixing society will require decades to take hold. I 100% agree. Which I agree too. And she says, if your child hits another with a rock, mm-hmm. do you discuss altering your parenting strategy with the child or just take the rock away? So I agree. Maybe the rock needs to be policed. But that's all we're talking about is the bloody rock all the time. We're not talking about... What is going on in our culture in, in, I mean, we just saw two gentlemen Mm -hmm. murder three people here in in Northern British Columbia. Yep. Yep. And, uh, they have, since their corpses have now been found in, in the, uh, dense brush off the Nelson river in Manitoba. Manitoba, Yeah. This is exactly the same problem. We just, it's on a smaller scale because we have less population. But it's not a per capita thing. It, 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 it's not, it's not, or it is a per capita thing. Like it, it's, if you were to take the percentages, we, we still have far less. It's not just because they have more people. That yeah. it plays a role for sure. But it's, Maggie is correct. It's not going to be. There is no flick of switch. No, there's no magic pill for it. It's just, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, What it takes is a culture to say, you know what? We need to alter how we're doing this. And and it's not, I'm afraid, I'm being a pessimist right now because of how we've seen these mass shootings happen all the time and nothing changes. Right. That I, I don't, I, I'm skeptical that anything will change, but it a culture needs to, to adapt. The gun culture, it, I, I don't, th- guns are only a part of the problem, but I think they're a huge part of the problem. Yes, mental health, all these other things are huge and yeah. important. It, we can't just say, let's focus on guns. No. Not, not at all. We can't do that. But again, th- that is the key component, in my opinion, uh, that needs to have, once again, gun culture. This belief that my guns are more important, my gun ownership is more important than my anybody's ability to well we saw it in dayton yeah lots of people are saying more people with more guns equals less guys going to do this we right even... because they're they'd be fearful they're going to get taken out but dayton guy i'm not even going to say his name dayton mm-hmm. guy went with his hundred round drum yep and killed nine people yep. in 29 seconds yep yep before he was taken out by the cops who were already pretty much on the scene. Yes. So damage was still done, even though they were trained and operated. Right. And, uh, and again, and I, said it, I said it in last week's after show, but which uh, is, those officers 
amazing. Yes. The work done by the, so I'm not diminishing saying that, oh, even they, you know, they weren't good enough to, no. When you have highly skilled, highly trained people with firearms, a lot of people were like in the proximity, people were still, a lot of people were still murdered. And so, that's right. Uh, and the simple fact, my, my counter to all of that anytime is more people with guns means less than the United States of America would be the most, would be the most uh, passive nation yep. in the world. And that's just not a fact. I love America. I really do. I have so many friends in the States who are the most amazing, wonderful people. I am not a trash talker of America. Uh, the gun advocates that I know, I disagree with them, but I still think they're amazing people. Um, I don't want anybody's guns taken away. I just want regulations in place. And to me, if I was a firearm owner and it was a hobby, a collection, I loved them. It, this is just like, it's my passion is firearms. Fantastic. Yeah. But if I recognize, you know, maybe I could limit some of my passion in order to save lives. I would gladly and willingly say, even if I'm wrong, it's still worth a shot. Yep. It's still worth a shot. Not me, not stopping my passion, not ending it, not throwing everything, just saying, you know what? Okay. Maybe if I do need to curtail it a bit, or maybe I don't get that one gun that I wanted because it, you know, like I, I'd be more than willing and happy to make that sacrifice. Just don't try to take my candy away. <laughs> Good Lord. If you take no regulations on candy. So yeah. Candy. Candy. Anyways, yeah. Again, I'm not trying to come off as uh, I hate guns. There shouldn't be guns. No, have them. But as I said earlier too, I, I can speak from personal experience that I, I hurt somebody with a firearm that I did not intend to nor ever want to do. Right. So I, I, I can attest to how easily unintentional damage can happen. Thankfully, that individual was hurt but not you know nothing like it's healed in a week but uh, uh you know yeah so like had that been a 22 or something yeah i could have easily killed a person right and for what so that i could have fun shooting a gun yeah fair enough yeah yeah so before we go uh we're done with the heavy part of the show for now anyway phew yes phew but you know what that means um, payday. It the, is, is it Friday? No, you, is it, it is kind of payday because it's like uh, Patreon day. Well, oh, there's a pay involved. You see what I mean? I I see what you did there, Mike. You're picking up what I'm putting down. I am, and it's brown and delicious. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So first up, we have. Oh, my goodness. There's a lot of you here. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, there are a ton. Well, that's great news. Yeah. Charlene Jardine from Ladysmith, BC. Thank you, Charlene. Yes, thank you, Charlene. Yeah. I love the name Ladysmith. Matt Casella, Matt Casulo from okay. Elmdale, Ontario. Sweet. Thanks, Matt. Arnie Fuller from Fergus, Ontario. Oh. Fergus. Fergus. I've never heard of Fergus, Ontario. It's It sounds rural. It I, I would imagine so. I don't know if it is, though. I am probably. I'm, I'm going to go on one and say it. I'm, you're, you're absolutely correct. Ashley Paschal from oh. Boynton Beach, Florida. Oh, there's a, a, a UFC fighter, uh, Pichel, uh, Anthony from Hell, Pichel. Oh. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. There you go. That could be him. Uh, well, or his brother. Or his sister. Yeah. Or, sister. Or parent. Parents. Or kid. Uncle. Exactly. And uh, the oh. Murder in My Family podcast uh, oh. pledged to the show, so thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, there's no murders in my family, but it is the Murder in My Family podcast. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, no, yes. Uh, my kids one day may off me. They may, as it stands of as of now. They're probably thinking about that. Probably what they're currently doing. So this one is from Christiansand in Norway. And her name, Netta the Moose. That, wow, legal? I didn't know I guess get Netta, any, yeah. And the, would be middle name? Netta the Moose. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, thanks, Netta the thanks, Moose. Thanks, Netta. A Norwegian moose has uh, subscribed to our show. That is fantastic. Well, even moose crave the after show. I guess so. They do. They need it. Because, it, I mean, yeah. They do. It, I I think it makes sense. The mooses. Or the meese. The meese. They must wear earbuds because I don't think they can get like over the ear headphones for such a large. No, they've got those little Apple, the new Apple. Yeah, yeah. AirPods. Yeah, I got them too. They do say on the package also good for moose. Meese. Meeses. Emily Drolette from Pitt Meadows, British Columbia. Hey, hey. Just over the bridge. Just around the corner. Uh, Larissa Grenier. Oh, I from Larissa. London, Ontario. Hey, not just around the corner. And here's one, Dre Laz. Where's Dre from? Dre? Yeah. Oh, Compton. Oh, did we forget about Dre? Yeah, we did. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Oh. People don't realize that his last name is Laz because he does it because he goes by Dre. He's like Madonna. Well, I think this Dre might be female, though. Let's not, they don't. Oh, maybe yeah. Dre can oh, be I didn't who mean Dre to wants assume to be. Any yeah, Dre yeah. Dre can be who Dre wants to be, and yeah. I support and love Dre for it. But so from Compton, currently living though, you would think Dre would still be living in at least in the states, right? Straight out of he's straight out of Compton. You would think yeah. he'd still be straight living out of Compton, but no, that's not where he lives. Where now? Uh, Fort Lauderdale. Fantastic. Yeah. Next up, we have Philippa Bettany from Exeter, England. Oh, wow. Very Philippa. Yeah. Alicia Fraser. Hey, sweet. Hmm. Alicia Fraser. Yeah, you remember her. Do I? Yeah. Okay. You took her photo. What was she doing at the time? Floating in the air. No, that's that's Alicia Hoback. Potato, potato. <laughs> okay. Really? I mean... Did she change her name? She did. Oh, okay. Yeah, she did. And is currently still floating. Oh. Ever since that, you'd forgot to unlevitate oh, her. shit, I forgot. You forgot to unlevitate her. So Sorry. She's been, she's been floating about life for years now. Alexander Squelch from Surrey, B.C. Oh, my God, that's the best name ever. Squelch, uh, I remember that the my CB had a squelch button on it. Did it? Yeah. So you could turn down sort of the the noisy noise on it, the on the channel. It was a terrible drink, a squelch. Yeah, it, it was vodka. Squelch, squelch's grape juice. It, it was vodka, and thumbtacks. Oh, that's not good. No, exactly. That's why I said that. Tack Okada. Oh, and oh boy! Wow, this looks like uh, Tat Okada is from Espoo. Seriously, Espoo in Finland. Is it Finland? Yes. I thought maybe that'd be Fiji or something. No, it's Finland. Oh. Wow. Well, thank you. Well, Tat, Tat is in the Yumberyard. Yes. Yes. Hell I, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I've seen Tat in the Yumberyard. Yeah, so have I. Super nice. Super but cool. I didn't realize Finland. Uh, yeah. Renee Goldman. Oh. Uh, any relation? No. No? No, I'm talking to, uh, I don't think so. Goldman Sachs, maybe. Maybe. Could be. Where's this Goldman from? Um, I'm thinking oh, somewhere. Renee in... is where? Is, where's Renee from? Yes. Oh, uh, Renee is from. Oh, she's she speaks Swahili, wow. so that would mean she's from China, right? Sure. Uh, that's where they, I think they speak Swahili. I think there. we'd better carry on. Uh, oh. Jacob Crosby. Yep. Uh, Sydney's brother, I guess, from yep. Truro NS. Yep. Yeah. Totally. There you go. Yep. Um. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of your brother. Why not? Well, I don't know. Because I, I, I like underdogs, and he was kind of like chosen to win. I guess so. So there. I guess so. If if you're listening, Cindy Crosby, that was a lie. I love you. <laughs> oh, boy. Continue listening. Andrea Nickel from Pennant, Saskatchewan. <laughs> Cough. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you very much, Andrea. Holy crackers, there's a lot of... Yes, Katie Perkins, and she's from Warrington in Great Britain. Oh, wow. Uh, and it looks like her uh, postal code has... It's a, it's in gigabytes. It, it's measured in no, gigabytes. No, that's in Great Britain. Oh, oh, that makes more sense. Okay, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. Postal code is in gigabytes. Yes. Or bits, whatever you choose. And then there's Ashley Luthwaite. Yes. And Ashley, I do believe... 
is also, I'm going to take a stab, I think she is actually South African. She is, yes. No, that's clear as day. Yeah. But where in South Africa, Mike? Joe Joburg. Joburg? Yep. 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 You, you, you've nailed it. So, wow. You've nailed it. Do you remember what Ashley does? Um, I just have to put on my Kreskin hat just for a moment. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that Ashley yep. is yes. a window cleaner. No. no. Oh, no. oh, she changed jobs? She's a pearl diver. Oh, my God. So she changes her she name can to hold pearl her... and dives? She can hold her breath for like five minutes. Sweet It's crackers. amazing. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Cheyenne Thomas, and she's from Holcomb, Kansas. Oh, wow. I got some Kansas in those. Thank you, Cheyenne. Yep, there you go. And uh, Alexis Plett from Tees, Alberta. Thank you. Which Thank is you, Alexis. kind of awesome. Yeah. And Courtney Mers from Edmond, Oklahoma. Oh, for a second, I thought it was going to be Edmonton. No, Edmond, Oklahoma. Edmond, Oklahoma. Is it a nice? Is that a nice place, Courtney? Tell, tell us about. Tell us about Edmond. Yeah, come to the Yumber Yard and yeah. have a conversation with us but, about Edmond. Tell, tell us about Edmond. I, I don't know. Not Edmond Camper. I would imagine he's not a city. Well, he's a, he's about as big as a city. <laughs> You don't want to live on him. Trust me. No, you wouldn't live too long. Uh, John Morvan. Mm -hmm. We know he's from Canada because his uh, email address ends in .ca, so it's a Canadian email address. Oh, okay. So so we're we're doing a little bit of... uh, It's detective work. Detective work. Yeah, I I think then this this would be the the John Morvan from, uh, from the Yukon. Okay. Yeah, because I know a couple of them. Yep. I know a couple of them. Is he a mad I, trapper from the Yukon? No, he's a very sane trapper. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's a very sane trapper. But t- take a guess as to what he traps. Badgers, 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 badgers. No. 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 What? Muscle. Like the, the shellfish, mussels. Muscles. He traps them on land. I don't know how he does it. You know how I get muscles? I go into the water and I pick them. Yeah. Yeah, you don't yeah. really have to trap and they don't no. get away. They're, well, they're but stuck. that's what makes his they're job. They're stuck to things. But that's in the water, Mike. On land, they're very fast. Oh, that's why I've never seen one on yes, land. Yes, they're very fast. Gotcha. Very agile. That makes sense to me. And that that's why John is the top of his field. Well, that's it for our Patreon shoutouts this week. Hmm, I need a nap after that. Thanks to everybody who supports the show. Thank you all. And then we'll click, clack. Save and stop. PayPal. We have some uh, PayPal patrons this week. PayPal. PayPal. We have Benson Lot. Hey. And Benson Hi. said, thanks for the great pod. I've been listening since episode two. Whoa. Yes, thank you. After randomly picking it up from search in my Pocket Cast app. And I don't even like true crime, just poo crime, apparently. <laughs> As in poutine. P-O-M. I get it. Yeah. I, I get it. Well, thanks. Benson, thanks, that Benson. means that means a lot to us that you've been with us that long. Yeah. Mm, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I mean, also... So you've heard us grow and heard us regress and and grow and then regress and that, right. but that's how that's how it works. But yeah, I I loved your show, one Benson? of my favorite sitcoms. Benson? Yeah, one of my favorite sitcoms in, in the eighties. Loved Benson. Oh boy, what? It was a great show. Yes, it was. Yeah, he became the governor eventually in that show, or didn't he, or the deputy? I can't say. I remember toward Benson the end. Well, enough. he was the butler at first. Yeah, at the White House. No, it was the, the, the governor's mansion. Like, he was the... I could have swore it was the no, White House. No, it wasn't the no, White House, yeah. no. You and, just shattered my love of Benson. Yeah. It was the White House or get the hell out. Lorian Barnard. That's Lor- That's Australian Lorian. Oh, wow. That's our, that's our pal from Australia. Well, how about that? Yep. She said, birthday donut money. Happy yeah. birthday, Mike. Yeah. You can maybe share with Scott if you want, maybe. <laughs> that's, that sounds like Lorian, yeah. That's and so that I'm not going to share that. She was very there. She put a lot of outs for you in there. Maybe, 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 maybe. maybe. You know what, Lauren? Thank you very much. I will share with Scott. I always do. Oh yeah, it's a ching. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and ooh, here's another one. Hmm? Larissa Grenier. 
Okay, so she goes, she has a little bit of a note here for us, so bear with me. Wow. Hey guys, this is a little donut money for you, or other snacks if you prefer some, or if you like some variety. And it's also including my Patreon pledge for August that I thought was going to be sent off when I signed up on August 1st, but apparently... They won't take my first pledge out till September, so here it is anyway. Well, thank you. That's much, much appreciated. Loving the show. Thank you for your thorough research and explanations of the facts. I got my BSc in forensic science, and it makes me remember all the wonderful times I had in university for that. Mike, you actually remind me a bit of my professor from undergrad, Dr. Scott Fairgreave, and that's a compliment of a high form, I promise. Wow, that's nice. Hey. Enough rambling from me. I hope you have a wonderful day and enjoy some treats from a listener who loves what you guys are doing. Thanks a lot. Larissa Grenier from London, Ontario. Oh, Larissa, that is super awesome of you. That is so meaningful to me yeah. when people take the time to, to write us a little note and, and say why they like the show or how they like the show or that I sound like their professor. Well, I think... <laughs> I think, Or a professor because I'm about as prof professorial as a Just as in a your pronunciation driver. of professorial. Professorial. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is a professor in my family... Who oh. listens to this show? Oh, who's that? His name is Peter Hall, and he is uh, in health sciences now in University oh. of Waterloo. He wow. he's changed disciplines from psych to to health. Oh wow, look at that! He's a smart cookie. It sounds he's, like it. He's one of my favorite cousins. It sounds like that's where everything went, huh? That's where all the that's smarts where all went? this. Well, his sister's a uh, a doctor. Holy shit! Yeah, they took it. Yeah. Well, no, and then on my dad's family on my dad's side. My cousin Robin was also a PhD uh, in genetic engineering. So by the time Mike came around, everybody's like, you know what? He can just figure it out on his own. <laughs> let's just let what Mike. Does that, what does Mike do? Let's, He's a podcaster. Let's, let's let him flounder until he figures oh, it out. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, pretty much that's how it went down, too. <laughs> by age 50, he'll have figured it out. You know what else? A couple of people have sent us um, e-transfers. E Oh, really? Yeah. They've sent us e-transfers, which is kind of amazing. Well, that's cool. Um, we got one from uh, Krista Stewart. Oh. Thank you, Krista. Thanks. She didn't leave us a note, but yeah. uh, that was in July. Um, and Lexi Charlton, for some reason, she sent, sent some us, more. She sent us two times. Fan funds from a fan. Oh. Which is kind of awesome. She's awesome. Yeah. And then uh, here's one that we very recently got. Hannah Marie Herrick, and she said, Hi, Mike and Scott. Enjoy some Timbits on me while Scott stands in my room at night like a creepy tooth fairy. <laughs> Hannah Herrick from Port Moody, BC. <laughs> so are you a creepy tooth fairy standing in people's rooms at night? We had this conversation. I remember it. Was that all after the show, though? Was she listening to I don't remember if it was like a... Cause, was, I think it was a regular show. Because Olivia lost the tooth. Yes. Yeah. But you are a creepy tooth fairy, or you could be Eron's. This could really come up bad, but Hannah's worth watching. Oh dear. Yeah, no, that just like I'm just trying, so trying, Hannah, I'm Hannah. trying to pay a compliment, saying she's an awesome person. Okay, I'm <laughs> I'm a little nervous about your association with the show. All of a sudden, does her address come with the? Uh... Oh boy! No, I'm completely joking. Completely. Completely. Hundred percent. You're creeping her out. I know you are. I'm most likely to. I'm surprised it took me this like almost a hundred episodes before I creep people creep out. Somebody out. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Sorry. It, yeah. Well, so that I mean, how about that rant we had this episode? We went on a bit of a rant yeah, for, about guns and but stuff. It's, but it's 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 a topic. It's very timely. That right now, is, so. uh, you know, and, and it evokes a lot of emotion and I'm really trying to not be like I'm trying to be as objective in my bias as possible like I'm trying like I have my preference but I'm always willing to hear other perspectives I'm okay being wrong I love a good debate I just hate uh when people start name calling yeah and this is a topic sadly where people really can devolve in it quite yeah. quickly into and so uh, I hope I didn't uh, uh you did I hope I didn't piss too too many people off again like i'm i'm no i want you to have your firearms we're we're kind of the middle of the road guys i think on and, and on a lot of things like i consider myself 
very left-leaning, but I am also... Which isn't good. No, I think it's fine. But I'm also incredibly, incredibly you okay. damn unions. <laughs> no, I'm not... No, anyways, uh, uh, I'm okay being wrong. Like, I love a good debate and a good discussion, mm -hmm. and I'm okay hearing other sides, and I'm often, more often, well, not more often than not, but quite often, I, I'm able to leave a conversation and go, like, okay, I didn't, hadn't thought about that, and I see your side, and... Uh, you know, I can, it helps me grow. There you go. But I do have my opinions. So that's it for this week's story. <sighs> Thanks so much to our patrons, past and present, for your pledges. We really appreciate your support of the show. We do. If you want to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. Or for a one-time support, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. Or if you really want to, interact Works just fine with that same email address. Clearly, yeah. Yeah, thanks, folks. Yeah. If you don't already, it would mean a lot to us. If you subscribe to the show, you can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Give us a follow or a like on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly, tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Hell yeah. Until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Guten Tag. Oh, you went all German on them. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>